0: This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are the Good Shepherd. I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and your Son, and we, we have someone who is committed to following we're committed to caring for his sheep and that we can be committed to following and cares for us, Lord. I pray that as we consider what it means for Jesus to be our good shepherd, that your spirit would work in a supernatural way to make the gospel beautiful to us or that the good news of who Jesus is and what he's doing for his people would be be a comfort, would be encouraging would be something that gives us confidence in, in times where um, we don't have confidence or we don't know, Lord. So I pray that your spirit would just open our eyes as we look at your word and we leave here more impressed and, and more in awe of who you are and what you're doing. So yeah, thank you for this beautiful day, this good gift that comes from you. Thank you for for servants who we celebrate that come from you, Lord. I thank you for even our little kiddos who we love and care for and the new ones that are here Um, All these good, wonderful gifts that come from you, Lord. So help us for this next so many minutes, Lord, to focus on the one good gift um, that is beyond everything we can comprehend, the gift of your son. In your name I pray. Amen. So we're shooting through um, the I am statements. I think everyone probably knows that by now. I like the little uh, journal following along. I feel like that's been... um, Helpful. I don't know how you guys feel about the little booklets and stuff, but they're, they're fairly cheap, so those are available for uh, future sermon series. We'll probably do, do that as a way to just kind of have something to take notes in and, and a way to follow along in Scripture. Um, we're going to be mostly in John chapter 10. Uh, the verses for John won't be on the screen. Just encourage you to follow along in your own Bible. If I jump off to some book of the Bible somewhere else, we'll put that up on the screen, so it's a little bit easier to follow along. So some context and some of the things that we talked about last week is Jesus said he is the door and, and kind of essentially as the door, Jesus is the one that validates or confirms sort of the shepherd or the under shepherds of his sheep. He, he cares for his people and, and he does have people uh, uh, under shepherds who, who care for his sheep, but Jesus is the one that, that sort of validates that. He's the one that says, you're a legit shepherd, you're not a legit shepherd. If you come in and through me, the door, is what Jesus is saying, then you have legitimacy to shepherd the sheep. If you don't come through me, then you're a thief and a robber. And he's kind of taking some time to throw the Pharisees under the bus because they're uh, abusing the sheep. They're, they're pushing them out of the presence of God for confessing that Jesus was the Christ. But I, we're, we're sort of shifting now. From that same sort of section, there's this transition now where Jesus is saying, not only do I validate who is and is not a legitimate shepherd of my sheep, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. I am what a, not only am I what a good shepherd looks like, I am, as as Peter would say, the chief shepherd. I'm the one who has ultimate authority I'm the one who cares for. I'm the one who considers my sheep. And I'm the one who I want any other shepherd to look like because I am the good shepherd. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about, we're sort of, I said, the sheep and the shepherd, part two. Jesus is the good shepherd. And we're going to see that Jesus is committed. Jesus is, as the good shepherd, is united and he's anointed committed, united, and anointed. And I, I'm kind of, uh, as far as sermons go, I was sort of excited when I was, was thinking about this one. And, and um, every passage in scripture, we're, our church is named Emmaus. So we say that all scripture speaks of Jesus. But I think some passages more clearly proclaim the beauty and the wonder of the gospel. Some passages just like really spell out who Jesus is and what he's doing with like a level of clarity that's hard to, uh, that, that it's, it's hard to even appreciate appropriately some of the things that Jesus is saying about who he is and what he's doing. So I sort of, I look forward to this because we're gonna be talking directly about the good news, the gospel of the person and work of Jesus. Like what is Jesus himself doing for you and I as our shepherd. That's the, the gospel is who Jesus is and what he's doing. So we're going to be talking very specifically about the good news of who Jesus is and what he's doing. So I'm, so I'm, so I'm excited about that. Um, and, and it starts with this idea we read in, chap, in verse 10. It starts with the idea that Jesus came to give us abundant life. Jesus came to give us abundant life. Yes, Lord. Which is which we could interpret that a lot of different ways. And, and we've kinda, as we've gone through the book of John, I, I've, brought, I've tried to bring us back to this reality that the, the life that's the light of men, the bread that's ultimately nourishing for you and I, the life that's abundant is for Jesus to restore our communion with God himself. If we think about what happened in the fall between Adam and Eve, that relationship was broken. And now through redemption, God promised it. And now what Jesus is accomplishing through redemption, he's restoring that relationship. There is no more abundant life than being in and experiencing the presence of God. And it's one of those sort of abstract things where it's like, am I, how do I know when that's something that I'm experiencing? How do I know when Jesus is actually giving me something that I would, I would call bread of life or I would say this is a, an abundant life? And I think the way Paul describes is really helpful. When the, when the spirit is there, when Jesus is poured out his spirit and he dwells in us, he says, what's the fruit or what's the results of the spirit in the presence of God? And I think Abraham knows the song, uh, right? But love, joy. Peace, I, don't, I didn't learn that song, um, but it's, a, it's a, the, the fruit of the Spirit. That, that's a really good way to say, what does Jesus mean when he says he's giving us abundant life? What does it mean when he's bringing us into the presence of God? It means he's giving you joy, regardless of the circumstances. It means he's bringing peace through God himself when it may seem like everything is chaos around He's, he's growing love inside of you, giving you concern for your neighbor and affections for God, because that's what he does. Those are the abundant life that he brings. And so I, I want to kind of keep that maybe broad context as we talk about these wonderful things about the gospel, the fact that our good shepherd is committed, he's united, the fact that he's anointed. He is all of these wonderful, good things that we celebrate, that we say are beautiful because he has a goal in mind. And that goal in mind is an abundant life in the presence and experience of God himself, which is more peace, which is more joy, which is more love when patience and all the other things that come along with that. Peace, joy, and love are pretty good. Hope, there's another one that, that God is offering through his presence. So let's look at, Um, let's look at verse 11 and see the good shepherd. That's chapter 10 of John verse 11. He makes a couple of just very flat out statements here. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And he explains that for us. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them up and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I I like uh, a couple of times it happens in the gospels where it's like, and the Pharisees didn't perceive that Jesus was talking about them. (laughs) This is one of those times where he's saying, I am the good shepherd. When, when troubles come or when things are not uh, comfortable, the hired hand runs away. The hired hand doesn't own the sheep, so if his life is in danger, if, there, if there's a, a wolf or a bear or a robber or something with the sheep, he's out. He's not, he's, not, he's not committed to the sheep. He's telling us, I am the good shepherd. These are my sheep I am committed to them. Jesus is committed to his sheep. Absolutely. And I, I was thinking about how commitment is just, is not the air that we breathe. <laughs> That's not like the, the ethos of the day. You know, I, and I, I joked and I said, um, you know, who's, who here has had a get together where like two or 15 people are coming? <laughs> Because you just don't, you know, commitment is not, like, you know, you're going to have your options open. You can't, like, commit to a party too quickly, you know. Um, or, or, you know, on a more, on a more serious level, who, who of us desires a level of commitment from others made in God's image? We want people that we love or care about. We want others who image God to be committed to us. And I think that's a, that's a good desire. There's, there's a, this is why I think when, I mean, I know this is why when, when people suffer so much, when marriages break up, it's a painful experience. It's not, it's, that's not meant to be that way. There's, there's, there's God is designed, he says, what, what I have brought together, let no man separate. And we know because of the fall that happens. That's real. And so when there's, a, there's an institution like that that God has designed to, to be a picture of that commitment and there's a break there, it's painful. It's hard. There's reverberations there from a lack of commitment for whatever reason. But the idea is that we desire commitment. We, we, we don't experience it in our, in our day-to-day, but I think deep down there is this real godly this given reality that there should be a level of commitment between image bearers. There should be a kind of commitment. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying that commitment that you desire, that, that, that lack that you feel like you have because maybe someone has disappointed you or because there's been damage or, or because they're, maybe you don't, you don't feel like there is commitment where there should be, that lack of commitment that you have that, that causes real suffering, that causes real pain, that causes you to swirl, that causes you to maybe think less of yourself, that lack of commitment, it is a painful and difficult thing, but I'm the good shepherd. I am committed to my sheep, 100%. 100%. All the commitment in the world we desire is wrapped up in Jesus himself. It doesn't matter if robbers are coming to steal. It doesn't matter if there's, there's danger. Jesus is saying, these are my sheep. I've bought them with my own blood. I've, I've shown you that I'm willing to die for them. I'm committed, 100%. I think this is the the beauty of the good shepherd. He's revealing to us what God is like. God isn't fickle. God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't think differently about you one day or the other day. He's 100% committed to who you are. He's committed to his sheep. This This is the beauty of the gospel, this is the beauty of the good shepherd. Amen. But he's not just committed. He's united. He says an interesting thing in the next part of verse 14. He says, I know my own and my own know me, which is simple enough with sheep. The sheep know their shepherd. The shepherd know their sheep. But then he makes a crazy statement after that. He says, Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Amen. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Think about this. This is the, the Father and the Son. This is the this is the Trinity. This is the, the three persons of the Godhead who share one being. This, this is... God is saying... I am so united to my sheep that I know them as intimately as I know my heavenly father. That's a a degree of knowledge that I don't even think we can begin to wrap our head around. And he says kind of the same thing later on when he's praying for his sheep, when he's praying for his people in John 17. It's crazy what he says. John 17 Verse 22, he's talking to his heavenly father and he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Why? That they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Amen. Jesus is saying that I'm committed to my sheep. I'm not changing my view or my perspective or how much I care for them or what I will do for them. I'm, not, I'm so 100% committed to my sheep because I'm united to them. I'm united to them just as the Father and the Son know each other, just as the Father and the Son share in glory in love and affection that's how I'm united to my sheep. And I think this is expanded in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. We'll look at a few verses here because I want to sit on this united idea for a minute. This is a really sort of central idea to the gospel. The good news of, the, of who Jesus is and what he's done is that he is committed to us, yes. But he's committed to us in an intimate way. The Puritans call it the mysterious union. Jesus is so connected to his sheep that he, he said that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He says that he's with you. And the, the implications of this is that now because of our union with Jesus... Because we're united to this good shepherd, we're united both to God and to each other. We're united both to God and to each other. This is the implications of what Jesus is saying. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul sort of works a little bit of this out. If you were to ask Paul in the first century, what are the two kinds of people in the world? He would tell you, Jew and not Jew. That was just the lens in which he saw everything from. The, the, for, for, uh, for an Orthodox Jew, for someone who grew up with the promises of God, who grew up with the, the scriptures of God, who grew up with the temple of the, the one and only true God and his presence being in their city, in their nation, rescuing them and nobody else, there were two kinds of people in the world those people, and everybody else that didn't have God. And so now Paul in Ephesians is explaining the fact that we're united to this good shepherd, and because we're united to this good shepherd, there are some implications to that. He says in verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, these are the, the other non-Jews, called the uncircumcision, which was, a, which was a physical mark that distinguished between the two, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, this is a, the physical thing. Remember that you are at that time separated from Christ. You are separated from all the promises of the Messiah, all the promises in the Old Testament that are pointing towards this idea of redemption. Everyone who is not part of Israel, you are separated from those things. You are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. In the world. He's describing what every other nation in the world, the situation they were in before the Good Shepherd came. He says, But now, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. The number of times that he says that phrase in any of his letters is a lot. It's an interesting thing. Just read one of the epistles and be like, how many times has in Christ Jesus come up? It's like one of those things that you we just like read it so much that we kind of pass over it. But this is what Jesus is saying. This is the intimate knowledge. This is the the being one as my heavenly father is one. This is the Holy Spirit being poured out. And the reason why we can say Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age, because his sheep are united to him. We're in Christ Jesus. And no, we're no longer separated like we were before. So what are the implications of that? In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, by the shepherd who gave his life for you. For he himself is our peace. Not not that there just isn't fighting anymore, there's divisions. He himself is the one that completes us. He united to you is the one that makes you whole. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one, so we're united to each other, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Now, there, for Paul, there are no longer two types of people in the world, Jews and not Jews. Now there are two types of people in the world, those in Christ who are one, who are made complete, and those who are not. These are categories are completely changed for him, because now what Jesus has done, because we're united to the Shepherd, we're not just united to God, but we're united to each other. He's saying it doesn't matter how much the differences are, it doesn't matter where you came from or your culture or or uh, how you grew up, and those are not that those aren't significant parts of our lives. But the ultimate reality, the thing that goes over all of these things is that you are now united to the good shepherd and you are now united to each other. This is what he's accomplished. Look at how he brings that out in verse 16. It says, might reconcile us both to God. We're united to him in one body to each other through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And this is the beauty of that union. This is what the good shepherd says when he wants to bring you life and life abundantly. He says, now we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the abundant life that the good shepherd is promising by saying he knows you like he knows the Father. And he wants you to know him like he knows the Father. This is what he's promising to do with his people. So we think about the implications of that a little bit. He's saying we're united. We're united to God and we're united to each other united to God and we're united to each other which explains this is not a, a temporary thing, explains his, the level of commitment he has he's so connected to us that that connection will never be broken Then of course he's committed to his people but this kind of goes back to what we say what God has done determines who I am not what I have done What God has done determines who I am, not what I have done. And Jesus is saying, you know where your worth is found? You know where your value, where your glory, where your credibility is found? It's found in your union, you being united to the good shepherd. It's found in the reality that you are connected to Jesus in a way that could never be shaken. And think about all the things that we do or don't do that change our view of ourselves. You know, if we slept in longer than we wanted to, you know? I talked to a couple people about daylight savings time, and they were like, oh, you know. <laughs> we think less of ourselves. It's the, it's the basis for my inner peace. And Jesus is saying, I want to give you peace that doesn't change. I want to give you joy that's not affected by the things around you. I want you to rest in the reality that you're united to me, the good shepherd. That doesn't change. That's who you are. Even if you drop the ball at work this week. Even if you're still struggling with sin and it's been a long time, I'm committed to you because I'm united to you. That's the wonder and the beauty of the gospel. That's the thing that we so easily forget, that who we are isn't based on the things we do. It's based on what God has done in Jesus Christ. And that's a blessing. Now, here's the, here's the twist, you know. I, uh, that applies for how we view each other. Do I view my brothers and sisters based on what they did or did not do for me this week? Based on their level of commitment? based on how they drop the ball? Or do I view them as one with me because we're both one with God? That's hard. (laughs) But if we want this abundant life, if we want peace and joy in our union with Jesus and we want to differentiate between my union with Jesus and that person's union with Jesus, we're breaking it up right there. We're not experiencing the one that God has said he has accomplished. We're actually rejecting what he's accomplished by thinking of others as less than ourselves because we don't see them as one with God like we are one with God. That's what God is calling us to He is the good shepherd that's not just united us to God, wonderful, amen, but to each other. And the others in our community are also united to him. And that's how we should view them. That should be the basis for our love for one another. He says in verse 16, back to chapter 10, I guess I'll finish 15. He says, and I laid down my life for the sheep. He's reminding us of his commitment. And then 16, he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Kind of the same thing that Paul's talking about in Ephesians. He's, he's, he's in Israel talking to the Jews, talking to the, the leaders of the day, telling them that they're not legit shepherds. And he's like, I'm the shepherd, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the committed one, I'm the one who's united to them, I'm the one that owns them, and guess what? I have more than this. I will bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. One flock and one shepherd. Amen. Jesus is pulling when he says one shepherd, more than likely, the, the idea of this one shepherd is coming from a passage in Ezekiel. This is another time where Jesus is sort of condemning the leaders of the day because there's a lot of, uh, the, the Old Testament talks a lot about what the shepherd should be, what the shepherds, plural, should do as they serve God's people. And in this context here, Jesus is concerned that his people are being cast out of God's presence, and he's he's cares for his sheep. So he's calling out the leaders of the day. But this idea of one shepherd comes from Ezekiel. We'll look at verse 22 of chapter 34. Just a couple of verses here. Same problem in Ezekiel. Terrible shepherds. This happens a lot. And look at what God is saying. Look at what God is promising. I will rescue my flock. I will save, I will rescue. God's like, I see the problem with the shepherds, so I'm gonna rescue my flock. And he gives us some more details on that. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. One shepherd. And my servant David is a sort of a prophetic way because David is long gone. David is long gone at this point in Israel's history. They're dealing with exile. They don't have legitimate kings. My servant David is a way to say, I have someone who is coming who is like a past king who's anointed to do the job properly. I have a future king coming like my servant David, that's going to be equipped, that's going to be capable, that's going to be, that, that, is, that is, it's interesting, there's parallels between I'm going to be the one to shepherd my flock, but also David. God is saying, I am going to show up, and my servant David is going to be the one anointed, capable, and his whole job is going to be the good shepherd that is capable of bringing the abundant life to his flock. Keep going, 23 says, and I will set them up over one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd and I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I, the Lord, have spoken. When God speaks... It happens. There's no maybe, probably, mostly. Reality and God's speech are the same thing. In the beginning, God spoke, and what? It just happened. God's trying to tell us something here, that when I tell you something is going to be a certain way, it's going to be a certain way. And Jesus is showing up on the scene now in John chapter 10, and he's saying, I am going to be that one shepherd. I'm going to be the one that's anointed. I'm going to be the one that's uh, anointed as a way to like set aside for God's purpose. It comes from in the past when they uh, would uh, anoint them with oil and they say, they, which to me, if I was like, you would never get that out of your hair. I don't know. I want to see that like happen in a way that's not annoying, but... <laughs> But they did that, you know, so they would anoint them with oil and say, this is the king, this is the prophet, this is the, the special one, the priest that God is going to use for a very specific purpose. He is the anointed one. And Jesus is showing up, concerned for his sheep, talking about the reality that he is so committed he's going to give his life for them. And he's saying, I have sheep beyond this, and I will be that one shepherd. I will be the servant David that that God has been speaking about for forever. I will be the one who is anointed to do this, to bring abundant life. And we'll go back to John chapter 10. He's the anointed one. In verse 17, he says, for this reason, for this reason, the father loves me Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. That's a crazy statement. (laughs) Jesus is looking at them saying that he's the one shepherd. He's saying, my heavenly father, do you know what kind of authority he's given me? Do you know what kind of power he's given me? Do you know what he's done for me as, as the anointed one that he loves? I give up my own life and I raise it up again. That's the kind of authority the anointed has. I'm able to, to enable myself to die and enable myself to be risen up again how much more authority can you have? And he's like, my father has given me this charge. The one who speaks existence into existence, I don't know how to say that, has spoken authority to me as the one shepherd. I'm the anointed one that will do all these things. Jesus is more than capable, more than capable of giving us the abundant life, more than capable of bringing more peace and joy in the presence of God into our life. What's a more impossible situation than death? Like, how do we fix that? Figure that one out. I mean, how many of us are in less impossible situations than that, but also feel impossible? Life is hard. There are difficult things going on, there, there, there are things that we just don't see a way out. And Jesus is saying, I'm the anointed one with all the authority, with all the power, with all the commitment to my sheep. I'm there intimately because I'm united to you. And if you're in a place, if you're in a place where you don't know or you don't have a way out, Jesus is saying, you can come to me. You can come to my word for wisdom. You can come to my blood for forgiveness. You can come to me in prayer for comfort. I'm literally put here by God as the anointed one to bring you the presence of God, to bring you peace and joy, to, to create a, an attitude and a heart of love for others. where so God tears back the sky on the transfiguration, says, this is my son. Listen to him. He's the anointed one. He's the one who I have said has all the authority, all the power. He's the one that's capable of bringing you into the presence of God. Amen. In Acts chapter 4, the church, when it began, was in a bunch of very difficult situations, to say the least. And they got thrown into prison, they got beat for some of the things that they had said. and That's gotta be a little demoralizing. You know, we, uh, we had a worship night, Friday night. If three or four of us got beat and thrown into prison, um, it'd be a little harder to show up this morning, you know? Rolling the dice with that situation. But, but they're, in a, they're in a really difficult and almost impossible situation. And so what do they do? They remember the anointed. They remember the king that says, I have authority to lay down my life and I have authority to raise it up again. Yes, Lord. Look at verse 23. It's on the screen. It says, when they were released from prison, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They said, hey, stop this thing you're doing. You're in charge. Help us. I'm coming to you because I know that you have all authority and power. Because I know you're committed to your people. I know you're united to your people. And I know you're appointed to do exactly what you are determining to happen for the good of your flock. Give us boldness to continue to speak the beauty and wonder of the gospel. Give us boldness to continue as we suffer and we don't know what's going to happen. Give us boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We are not in nearly as dramatic of a situation as that, (laughs) but there are a lot of scary unknowns in our life, most definitely. There are a lot of things where we don't know how God is gonna work it out. And the same confidence comes from knowing that Jesus is the anointed. He's the anointed one with all authority and with all power. We know that we can go to him because he's the one set up exactly for that purpose. He's the one set aside to bring us into the presence of God to give us that peace, to give us that joy. Amen. I think it's interesting in the Gospels. Um, there's two times that Jesus is amazed. Like, that's amazing, you know? It only happens two times in all the Gospels. And one of the times is when he's talking with his, like, family, basically, where he's from, and they don't, like, believe who he is. And he's amazed at their unbelief. And it's hard. I mean, I think about that. I'm like, they've grown up with sinless Jesus in their town for forever. So there is a familiarity there. But you had to see something a little different, you know? I'm guessing that that toddler act differently than the other toddlers, you know? Without sin. Like, I can't even imagine those things. Like, he cried for food as a baby... Selflessly every time, you know. I don't know how that, you know, I'd pick that all. That's probably why we don't have very much about Jesus in the but he didn't have sin. We know he didn't have sin. Bible says that. And he's amazed. He's like, they don't believe. Like I've been here my whole life. He's amazed at that. And the opposite, it's interesting how you know, the opposite thing is it's a centurion who needs Jesus to, to heal. And Jesus is like, okay, I'll go with you. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, he says, stop. I know what it's like to have authority. If you say it's gonna be so, it will be so. You don't have to come with me. And Jesus is amazed. He's amazed at his faith. He's like, wow, this Roman dude that was on the outside that doesn't have all the covenant promises has more faith in what I'm capable of doing than the people I grew up with that amazed Jesus. And I think what he's saying is he's he's telling us these these huge statements about him being the good shepherd, These, these wonderful things about the gospel, the good news that he is sovereign over all this stuff and he's working these things out and he's intimately connected to you. He's united to you. He's committed to you. He's saying these big giant statements and all through the gospels, he's just saying, trust me. Trust me with this. Have faith. The last part of chapter 10, or this section in verse 19, you get kind of a response to these amazing statements that makes a little bit of sense. Like Jesus just said, hey, I can lay my life down and I can lift it back up again. You know, if you ran into someone today that said those things, you would... Pray for them, you know? Just so, so in verse 19 it says, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? He's crazy. He don't know. Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. It's a little more coherent here. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind? of the blind? Is he capable of this? And I think we can doubt what Jesus is saying because there's such overarching statements of completion. Like I'm committed to you for forever. No matter what you did, I'm committed to my sheep. That's hard to believe. I feel like there's things that would break that commitment. Saying I'm united to you in a way that's more intimate than any relationship in this entire world. It's just like the relationship between the father and I. That's a crazy statement. And I think it's easy to wrestle with those and say, yeah, but, yeah, but, what about this? Or I feel this way. But Jesus is saying, look at what I've done. I've died, I was in the ground for days, and I've risen again. I've literally conquered death before your eyes. That's the, that's the power, that's the, that's, that's the authority that I have, that I've died and risen again. There's nothing greater than that. And you say, yeah, it may sound kind of crazy that I'm that committed to you. I don't even know how to really wrestle with this idea that I'm that united and he's that intimate with us, that God is in us and in, in, in revealing the Father to us because there's a real presence there. That's paralleled with his presence in the temple in the Old Testament. That's crazy. He's anointed. He has all authority. And he's like, look what I've done. Believe what I've done. I've died and I've risen again. Look back at all the things. Most of us can say, look back at all the ways he's worked things out in our lives to draw us closer to the Lord. I was talking to someone even this week who was like, was like, I really just, wish that I had more of God's presence. And he was kind of like bemoaning it, you know? And I was like, dude, think back in your life. Did you even have that desire so many years ago? Like, this is the Holy Spirit working in you to say, I long more for God. That's awesome. That, that's, that's Jesus, the anointed one at work, Revealing himself, and you have a taste of it, and you're like, I want more of that. That's God working through the Spirit in a supernatural way to reveal himself to you. Praise the Lord for that. And I said, I also want more of that. That's what we pray for, and that's what Jesus is capable of. He's anointed just for that, to give us the abundant life, to give us the real, true, comforting joy and peace that comes from being in the presence of God. It's a blessing. Let's pray, Father. Thank you for, thank you for Friday night where we got to sing and worship and draw near to you. Thank you for the opportunity to sing, even today. Thank you for prayer. Thank you for your word. Thank you for other members. <laughs> Of your body who we're united to and who care for us and who, who demonstrate your character through us, even as we celebrate Chad and Olivia, those are those are members of your body who are connected to you and have demonstrated your love and character to your people here in Emmaus for so long. Lord, we're we're so thankful for what you're doing on your throne as the anointed one, united and committed to your people. Lord, I pray that those truths would ring in our head, I pray that when we begin to doubt our own self-worth, we would, we would realize that you have united yourself to us and we are worthy because of you. I pray that when we are in situations that are just a little chaotic, that we'd remember that you are the anointed one who is sovereign over all things and you're working things out for the good of your sheep, Lord. You're, you're so wonderful. Thank you for that. Help us remember those things through your spirit so that we could have, so that we could long more for your presence, so that we could enjoy more of your presence, so that we could have more peace, more joy, and more love for those around us. So we could bring the good of your presence to others as we're formed by that very presence together. In your name I pray. Amen.